Good morning, good morning. I'm just gonna start the day off right. I am from Arkansas. My Razorbacks are in the Elite Eight, and so I'm rocking my Razorback gear, and I don't care who knows it. Anyway, I'm excited about it. It's been an exciting week in my house because of the Final Four. Uh, I grew up when the Razorbacks, I was a kid when they won the national championship in 94. I know it was a long time ago, so just let me have this moment. Um, It's so good to see you guys this morning. Hey, I want to start off by saying thank you to Pastor Chris. If you were here last week, man, come on. Did Pastor Chris bring the word or what? Man, Chris, such a blessing to me. Thank you for blessing our church, sharing your story. What a profound message, man. What a juxtaposition that we live so often wanting to be the master of our own world, but Jesus gives us a better title, a servant in his kingdom. And man, what, a, what an awesome message. I know we've already talked about it, but Easter is next week. And so, man, I'm excited about this. We, we are, I wanna take a second, just tell you a little bit about this series. Um, I'm losing my religion because that's the thing that a lot of people say. That's the thing that a lot of people in church say. It's the thing that a lot of people who have left church uh, at some point have said. And can I just tell you something? I'm gonna give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. That's the thing that God has been waiting for humans to say for 2,000 years. And so if you know somebody who feels like they're losing their religion, you need to let them know that's a good place to be. And so we're going to be talking about in this series, really just going to kind of be speaking to the reality um, that, that God desperately wants us to lose our religion. And the devil of hell desperately wants us to believe that religion is what we've got to hold on to. So that's where we're going to be going. We're going to be talking about the things that cause us to lose our religion. And those are the things that actually point us to Jesus if we will allow it. So listen, if you know somebody, not just, not just uh, next week for Easter, but really through this whole series, we're going to be going all the way up until the week before Mother's Day. So if you know somebody that has walked away from God or is far from God, but close to you, man, invite them to come to church because we're going to be aiming the gospel right at their heart and giving them an opportunity to see Jesus in clear Light. Today we're going to close the book on our, ser- our label series. That label doesn't fit me anymore. Has anybody been blessed this week or this month through this series? If I would have asked the question a little bit more clearly, your response would have been a little bit more decisive, I'm sure. Um, but we're going, to be, we're going to be closing the book on the series this, this week. And uh, I'm going to be closing it out as a bang as I believe that God wants to speak to every single one of us today with a label that, um, that he's given us. And... Uh, uh, one of our values is keep it real. I'm gonna keep it real. I, I grammatically screwed up this message title uh, and I repeat it multiple times throughout the message. I'm so thankful uh, for my man, Matt, back in the tech booth who came and checked me on this. Um, the title of the message today is, is a label that we all have and it's not until we understand what Jesus wants to do in our lives that we realize that he's upgraded that to something far better. And the title of our message today is Aimless Wanderer. And for those that are trying to figure out how I screwed it up, I spelled it W-O-N-D-E-R-E-R. He came to me and said, hey man, this was about five minutes before the service. He said, hey man, um, did you mean to put it, spell it that way? Did you want wanderer or wanderer? I said, what's the difference? keeping it real. I hope that's okay in church today. I'm from Arkansas, so we don't bother ourselves with such petty things. (laughs) At one point or another, um, life can can seem like it's a whitewater rapid river. Anybody else feel that way? Like, Like life is just the rapid river, and sometimes you're just like, dear Lord, can I just hold on? Can I survive? Can I make it? And uh, at, at one point or another in this, in, in this thing that we call life, there's, there's times, there's moments, there's seasons where we don't really know where we are. <laughs> well, where am I? How did I get here? There are times where we're wondering, why am I here? There's times where we, we're in this season of life where the, where the rushing rapids of life carry us sometimes faster than what we can manage. We wonder, man, what am I even, what am I supposed to even be doing here, sometimes the, the pace of life and the things of life can just be flat out overwhelming. There's a reason why they make you when you go whitewater rafting, they make you wear the helmet and the life jacket and all the things because it's dangerous, it's overwhelming. And if you're not ready, you could drown. And we can just be really honest in God's house today. Um, some of us is here today and we just feel like we're kind of drowning by the, by the current of it all. And I just believe that God 
has something for us. This, especially in this last year, man, it's been a crazy ride. I mean, last week was a year ago that we started having virtual services. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've, I've aged about eight years in the last year. I have more gray hairs in my beard now, but no white hairs in my head, so I'm doing good there. A lot of things have happened this last year that caused us to kind of fear things. Um, the reality of it is there's been a lot of things that have churned up a lot of fear. COVID caused a lot of fear. Racial problems caused a lot of fear. The election caused a lot of fear. I talked to a lot of people um, that, that at some point in the election up until today, some of y'all were afraid about where our country was headed and some of y'all are afraid about where our country is headed. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but we live in this 24-hour news media cycle where we just had this awareness of all things that all the time. And I'm just convinced that we as humans weren't meant to be able to handle that. It's caused and created a lot of fear. A lot of people peddle fear. Fear is the, is the best thing to get people to buy stuff and, and to vote and to do something. <laughs> And, uh, and, and so there's been a lot of things that have, that have motivated, fear has motivated us to do a lot of things. Fear has motivated us to either wear a lot of labels or get really bold with the labels that we're wearing. Labels like Democrat. Labels like Republican. Labels like advocate or social justice warrior. Fear has caused us to label other people racists. Bigot. Fear has motivated us to, 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 to want to, to be a part of something. Fear oftentimes causes us to, to see what's going on and that fear of if I don't do something, then, then something bad's gonna happen. And so many of us over the last year have been motivated in one way or another to let our voice be heard, to, to, to make our point, to, to jump in and to try to be a part of the solution. And the reality, because we all live under this label of aimless wanderer where, where we have this desire to want to be a part of something good. We, we all have this inherent desire to want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all want to, want, to, want to make sure that our life matters. But because we are aimless wanderers, we don't have anything to anchor us down to something that matters. And so when stuff happens, we just grab anything and everything to try to grab onto labels that we can feel comfortable in, labels that we can boldly proclaim so that we can feel like we're a part of making a difference of things that really matter. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we will even look at things and, 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 and put the filter of God's word on things, which is a good thing to do. Um, but what happens is, is, is we get it twisted and we get it confused that, that we find these verses of scripture that, that justify and that we can use to defend the position that we take. And so we'll use verses and passages of scripture to advocate why we want to advocate for equality, which is a good thing. Why we want to advocate for freedom, which is also a good thing. Why we want to advocate for, for this thing or that thing and, and we can find a proof text in scripture and it's good that we do that but listen to me what happens if we do not understand the label that Jesus has given us as his followers then we will put the, the we will major in the minors instead of majoring in the majors And it's because we're, draft, we're, 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 we're trying to hold on in this, in this whitewater rapids of life and we're trying to grab onto something that will provide purpose and value and meaning. We're looking for something that can give us a rudder to help us to navigate life. But fear confuses and overwhelms us. And I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the most repeated commands in all of scripture is fear not. Matter of fact, more than 365 times, one for each day of the year, the word of God says, do not fear, fear not, rejoice, be happy. I want to share a couple of them with you today. Psalm 27, one says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Can I tell you the reason why so many of us live afraid is because the Lord is not the strength of your life. He's just a part of your life. 
me share with you another one. Psalm 46, one says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why do we fear? Because we have not positioned our lives and positioned the Lord Jesus to be the rock of our life, to be the refuge and strength and the very present help in trouble. Instead, we treat him like our coupon, our get out of hell, get out of bad spot free card. And we, we rub the lamp of the genie hoping that he'll show up when we want him to, but we don't make him Lord, which is what he died for us, for him to be in our lives. And so we are in fear because we do not position him as Lord. It continues, even though, notice this, even though, because this is what this is what this last 12 to 14 months has been. Now you can see it all throughout scripture and you can see scripture defining the last 12 months. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's weird stuff. Have you seen some weird stuff happening in our life in the last year? Three of us have. The rest of you somehow don't have social media. I don't know. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And there's been a lot of weird stuff happening in our life in the last year. But God is saying fear not. Fear should never be the motivator of someone who is a follower of Christ. Instead, faith should be. It should be faith in the reality that Jesus went to the grave and came back from the grave. And if you're here today and you're, you're new to church or maybe you're unsure, can I just say, I get it. That like that, the last sentence I just said can sound really weird and I understand that. But we believe that the historical record shows that Jesus did go to the grave. We're gonna celebrate it next week and that he did resurrect from the grave and that he promised that he's gonna come back. And because he promises he's gonna come back, he declares that he wins and everyone that's on his side wins. And so, so we, as followers of Jesus, we should, not, we should never be motivated by fear to do anything. We should always be motivated by faith. Fear is a powerful motivator, but it cannot hold a candle to faith. The reason why we're so much more motivated by fear than by faith, listen to me, is because we've put more faith in what we fear than faith in what has happened, which is the resurrection and the promise of Jesus' return. And so we get it twisted. We do all kinds of things. We, we, we grasp and try to hold on to anything that can give us that, that sense of purpose and meaning and worth. The God give us direction. We talk about purpose a lot at our church. In fact, the mission of our church is to help people discover life in Christ, belonging in community, purpose in God's call in their life so that they can make a difference in this world. That's why we exist. But what happens is we have this tendency in 21st century America that we, we mistake the purpose that God wired into our DNA and he did wire purpose into your DNA. We mistake that purpose as something that is self-serving. And if we're being really, really honest, we can keep it real in the house of God today. What happens even in the things that we do in pursuit of spiritual things, in pursuit of the name of Jesus, because that's our purpose, oftentimes the motivator is because it feels good to us. Look at how much more spiritual I am than them. If I can be really honest, as a pastor, I have to wrestle my sinful nature and my selfishness and my pride to not compare myself to other pastors. Well, my purpose is so much better than them because look at what my church is doing in comparison to theirs. So if we can be really honest, our purpose is oftentimes motivated by selfish desires. But what I wanna help you see today and what the word of God is gonna help us see today is that ultimately anything that God has wired into our DNA that is connected to our purpose is ultimately for the express desire of fulfilling his purpose, which is expanding his kingdom of light and goodness against the kingdom of evil and darkness. And everything that God has hardwired into us that, it, that is connected to why we exist and, and why we're here as individuals and as the church is for God's glory. It's for his kingdom and not for ours. What I want to help you see today is that what Jesus does is he gives us, he exchanges the label. And that we're, we, we are all, we all feel comfortable and feel the, the reality of that label of aimless wonder. But I want to point you to scripture and I want to point you to the, to the upgrade. That's what we've been talking about through this whole series. That that old label that we used to have doesn't fit me anymore because Jesus has given us an upgrade. 
We're going to find it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And this is what it says. This is Jesus at the end of his time on earth. He's speaking to his disciples and he's giving them kind of the the marching orders. And he says, go therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. Now, theologians and pastors and scholars refer to this, these two verses as the Great Commission in the same way that military language, when you become commissioned as an officer, you have a commission, you have a job, you have a duty to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies, both foreign and domestic. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm giving you your marching orders. I'm giving you the commission. I'm out and I'm, I'm putting you in the driver's seat now. And this, this is your commission. Go, therefore, and make Disciples, You see, the old label that we used to have before we come to know Christ is the label of aimless wanderer. But what Jesus does is he gives us a new label. And what this new label is, it's like he throws an anchor and a rudder into the rapids of life that gives us something secure and firm that we can stand on, something that we can rely on. And he gives us a rudder to guide us as we navigate the rapids and the, the, the changes of the, of, the, of the situation of the river of life. And what he does, he gives us this rudder to provide us direction, to help us to know how we navigate it, why we're here. It helps us to understand our purpose. It gives us direction. And here is the new label that Jesus gives us. He gives us the new label of disciple maker. You go, what does that mean? Well, it means that it starts with being a disciple of Jesus. Now, a disciple is somebody who submits themselves to the teachings of someone and orients their life to try to become more like their teacher. And that happens the moment that we come to the end of ourselves and realize we can't do this thing anymore. We're drowning in the river of life. I need help. Please rescue me. And Jesus is faithful that he will always show up to rescue those who call out to him. It doesn't matter how, how much you mess it up. It doesn't matter how ill-prepared you were for the journey. It doesn't matter how many bad decisions you made along the way. The word of God says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's salvation. That's being moved from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive to being part of the, the family of God and being given by God the tools to be able to navigate the rapids of life. And as a disciple, ultimately, we begin to understand as we read the, the, the word of God, as we study the life of Jesus, we begin to see that there are five consistent things that define uh, and, and they're truths that a disciple of Jesus will build their life on. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on these. I'm going to go through them quickly. I preached an entire series on this back in 2019. We're going to post a link to it so you can go find it. If you want to walk more in depth, I encourage you to do so. Because if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, these five truths are the anchor. It's the foundation that Jesus wants us to understand that we need to build our lives on. And the first truth is that found people find people. This is the idea that once we've been found by Jesus, we go find other people and tell them about it. It's the idea that, that before Christ, you were a beggar. And you as a beggar figured out where to find bread. And so one beggar tells another beggar where to find that bread. It's the idea of evangelism, that we've been found by Jesus. And now we go find other people. Here's the second truth. The second truth is that saved people, all right, people that have been saved by Jesus, serve people. When the love of Jesus has been, has transformed you because he served you, he made himself as a servant. He gave his life in exchange for yours. That when his love and grace and service to you has changed your life, then you have been saved. And then we are compelled then to go serve other people. Why do we do that? So that served people can be saved. That's why we serve whether in the walls of the church, in our community, helping somebody at the grocery store, buying somebody's coffee behind us, looking for opportunities to be nice to that boss who sucks, whatever it is, save people, serve people. Here's the third truth. People are better together. I don't know if you know that or not. But they are. Life is not an individual sport. Life is a team sport. And God has designed us to need people. Not only do we need people, but we're actually better together. I can't tell you how many times I have people email me, text me, call me, send me a message on social media. Pastor, I need help. Okay? What's going on? And they tell me what's going on. And I go, you know, I'm sorry about that. Let me ask a couple of questions. Um, Are you in a small group? 
overwhelmingly, the response to that is no. Let me just tell you something. My response usually is, you need to be in a small group. I can help you. I can point you to the word of God. I can give you some encouragement. I might even be able to answer your question, but I'm not gonna promise that I'm gonna be able to. But can I tell you that the change that you're looking for will not be found in the decisions you make by yourself. The change that you are looking for will be found in the context of people that you need in your life that they'll help encourage you. They, they serve as, a, as, a, as an umbrella of protection. They serve as, as the, 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 the pokey thing that pokes you in the rear end when you're getting lazy, when you're falling off the tracks to encourage you, to challenge you. And we just believe around here that God tells us over and over and over again that life change doesn't happen by yourself. Life change that lasts, life change that, that has staying power will always happen in the context of relationships. If you don't believe that, try going on a diet by yourself in your house. That's my favorite illustration for that. You're not gonna do it for long. For the last three weeks, I've been trying to go on a diet. I'm not blaming Jessica for it because she already looks good. She don't need to go on a diet. But your boy, COVID has been, how should I say, filling. (laughs) Snowboarding last week, I was very reminded Every time I fell on my butt, how much more weight I'm carrying, but at the same time thankful, I have a little extra padding. Here's the fourth truth. You can't outgive God. Can I just tell you the economy of God is amazing because he sa- tells us in his word, you can't outgive me, I dare you to try. Now here's the deal, here's the problem. Oftentimes we'll hear this and go, whoo, well then the equation of getting more in my bank account is by giving and God goes, hold the phone. We don't give for the purpose of getting. We give because we realize that no matter how much you do or don't have, you've already been given so much. And what God is simply saying, the principle of his word, if you'll just drop the first part off for me, I'll bless what's left. And you'll be able to do more with what's left than you could could have done with all that you had if we will prioritize him because you can't outgive him. And the fifth truth truth is that growing people change. Being a disciple of Jesus should lead us to change. It should mean that our life changes. We should not be the same person we are today that we were a year ago. Listen, you want to talk about something, a challenging conversation. Why don't you sit down with somebody who knows you well enough to know you beyond the mask and say, how am I more like Jesus today than I was when COVID started? You're either going to be real encouraged or real convicted. By the way, if you need some help with that, go to Galatians 5, look at the fruit of the Spirit, write those nine things down and evaluate your life on those nine things today in comparison to a year ago. I don't have time to preach that message. That's another one for another time. But here's the deal. When we anchor our lives, when we build our lives on these five truths, they're consistent across the pages of scripture. They're consistent in the life of Jesus. Then we begin to see that God begins to move and work in our life. Our life begins to change. And we begin to walk out what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 16, that we would let our light so shine before men that they could see our good works and glorify who? Our Father in heaven. When we build our lives on these truths, then we begin to see that Jesus changes our life. We begin to look different, walk different, talk different, think different, hello, vote different, hello, engage with people on social media different. Let me just let that sit. Because some of y'all engaging on social media like you are God. let the Holy Spirit do with that what he needs to do. So it's good that we let our lights shine before men. It's good that we're a disciple of Jesus. But I want to look again at the passage of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice what he says. He says, sit down and chill out for a minute and make disciples. Mm -mm. I have a suggestion, it's optional, you think about it, get back to me. Consider 
making disciples. Uh -uh. No, he says go. It's an active process. We are called, we are compelled, we are commanded to go. It's not, it's not a passive suggestion. Ultimately, can I just tell you that this has been the focal point that has been the establishment of the movement of Jesus, not the religion of Jesus. The religion of Jesus will tell you, sit down and soak. The church, the concept of the church, the way so many see it, that I just come in, sit down, I enjoy what the preacher says to me. If I don't like it, I'll go find another church that'll preach what I want him to preach to me. And every once in a while, I'll give the preacher man some money. I'll cheer him on because he's the professional Christian and my job is to cheer him on and what he's doing. No. No, you see, it is an active command that Jesus gives to all of his disciples. If you call the name of the Lord, you are his disciple. He is expecting that you're building your life on these truths and he is also expecting that you are going to go make Disciples, as a pastor, can I tell you that I want you so badly to understand this label of disciple maker and live and walk in and grow comfortable in this label of disciple maker because I believe that God wants to do a powerful and profound thing in your life. And it's because we oftentimes as the followers of Jesus, as his disciples, do not understand or walk in the label of disciple maker that we miss out on so much that God wants to do in our lives. Pastor, why can't I see God moving in my life? Why am I not seeing this? Why is God not showing up? Why am I still struggling with this? Why is this still an issue? Pastor, where is God? Why is he so far away? I don't know the answers to all of that specifically, but what I do know is that God loves you. He's never left you or forsaken you, and he called you to do something. What's the last thing he called you to do? Because if you're walking in disobedience from making disciples, and instead you're trying to build your own career, you're trying to build your own kingdom, you're trying to parent the way that you want to, you're trying to be a spouse the way that you want to. You're trying to date, hello, the way that you want to. And you're not orienting those things around the truth and the word of God and his will and his ways for you that are anchored in the context of a loving relationship that he desires to have with you. Well, I'll tell you where God is. God is exactly where you left him when you walked away and started doing it your way. He's called us to make disciples, and I want you to understand this. The problem is, is most of us don't know how to do this. The problem is, is we get so confused. Well, how do we do that? I don't know how to make disciples. Am I supposed to find a curriculum? Am I supposed to find like a three-week book study, and I just walk them through that? Or is it like a, like a 13-week book study? Well, how do I do it? Listen, can I just tell you, I believe that we overcomplicate what it means to make disciples. And I believe the reason why we overcomplicate this is so important. What it means to make disciples is because the devil of hell is working overtime to convince you that you can't do it. Because the devil of hell knows the kingdom of light advances through common people obeying God's word to make disciples that is against his agenda of death and destruction upon people. But thankfully, so oftentimes is the case, God's word comes to the rescue and he breaks right through the confusion and he says, I'll show you how to do it. It's real simple. Just, just do this. We find it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm bringing the contemporary English version of this. I love the way that it's translated. And it says this. This is, let me provide some context. This is Paul. Paul was a guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He was a, a, a church planner that planted churches. Um, and he is writing to Timothy. Timothy is kind of his protege. Timothy is his disciple. Timothy is the guy that he found, and, and he's trying to raise him up and teach him a thing or two. And now Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of a church, and Timothy's struggling trying to figure out how to do this. He's He's making it too complicated. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this to Timothy and he says this, hey, Timmy, you have often heard me teach. Now I want you to tell these same things to followers who can be trusted to tell others. He's saying, hey, Timmy, here's the deal. You heard me, you watched me, you saw what it looked like, and we talked about it. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples by going to find some other people and telling them the same things that you learned when you were with me. That's how you make disciples. That's it? That doesn't seem so bad. This idea of discipleship is all over our world, but when it comes to spiritual things, it gets to be so hard. Here's what I want you to understand, that there is much joy when your life is changed. 
Come on, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, if your life has been changed, you know there is joy in that moment. When you're healed from a past emotional wound, there is much joy. When you recover from an addiction, amen. When you finally find freedom from the financial bondage of debt, amen by myself on that one. When you have restoration in a broken relationship and when you discover reconciliation in a hopeless marriage, ooh, there is much joy. You were facing the impossible, yet somehow God showed up and did the impossible in your life. And these things are amazing. And, 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 and that's, what life, that's what happens when life changes. You see, this cup here is kind of like your life. This cup, like, like it, you know, it has some shape and, 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 and it's clear. You know, you can see through it. If you were to hand this to a toddler, you know, they do all kinds of stuff to it. And, you know, and this actually breaks apart, so that would get lost. And then you just have this thing. You don't know what to do with that. And all the people with kids understand that. People that don't, don't, don't understand that. But this is you and this is me. And, and, and let me show you kind of how, how God works, that, that, that God shows up and, and, and he, you know, this is a, you know, church planning illustration. We don't have unlimited budget. And so what happens is, is God shows up into our life and, and you become a disciple. Your life has changed. And what happens is, is God fills you up and you look different. Now, here's what happens. For most people, we want to take this and go, oh, thank you. Can I have another? And in the early stages of walking with Jesus, Jesus is like, sure. Ooh, that's so good. That must be for me. <clears throat> Can I have another? And Jesus goes, sure. Ah. Can I have another? And somewhere along the line, Jesus goes, hold on a second. I don't think you understand how this works yet. You see, the point of being a follower of Jesus is not that you just consume. He'll let you do it for a little bit. Your early stages of walking with Jesus will feel like that, that Jesus fills you up and you just consume it and you say, thank you, Lord, can I have another bartender? But at some point, Jesus expects us to grow up and to mature a little bit in our relationship with him, that we begin to realize that the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus is not just to consume what I can in him, that, that there's something different. And so what happens is, is Jesus cuts us off. And it's usually sometime around here that, that Jesus cuts us off and we're sitting there empty and we're wondering, you see what? Hey! Jesus, if you would just, then I promise I will. Jesus cuts us off because we're not understanding that there's something more at play. Now listen, here's what you have to understand. You have to understand that God's economy works through conduits. That God's desire, that Jesus tells us that his desire is that our life, our little four ounce plastic, whatever kind of cup this is, life, it's not ultimately supposed to be defined by just filling the four ounces and enjoying it. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse eight, he says, this is how my father's glorified, that you bear much fruit, so then you're my disciple. So what he's saying is, if you're really my disciple, then what's gonna happen is, is your life is going to bear fruit. Meaning that you're, you're not just going to consume it, and that be the end of it, that there's something more that happens, that, that, that your life will actually begin to bear fruit. He says it this way in verse 16, that I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There's that word again, go, not passive, active, that you should go and bear fruit. And what? And that your fruit should remain. What is the fruit that remains? The fruit that remains is never anything that can be measured by a bank account or possessions. 
The fruit that remains is the stuff that remains when you go. The fruit that remains is life change. Life change is a big deal in the economy of God. Ultimately, I believe that's how God measures progress. Not accumulation, but life change. As a church, life change is a big deal for us. It's a part of our vision. That our vision is that we would see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. What is vision? Vision is what you see when your eyes are closed. Why don't you close your eyes with me just for a second. I want to paint the picture of the vision of our church. What do we mean when we say that our vision is to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time? What does that mean? It means that, that people who are, who are broken and busted from addictions and bondage are set free. It means that the homeless are cared for, that the widows and orphans have a source of hope and resources to provide for them that isn't directed by Uncle Sam, but by Jesus Christ and his people. The vision is that broken marriages could be restored. The vision is that teenagers no longer feel the need to resort to sex or drugs or abortions or suicide. The vision is that people who are in debt could find financial freedom. The vision is that people who thought they were no good, low down, good for nothing can realize that they are redeemed, that they are favored, that they are part of a royal priesthood, that they are chosen by God himself. The vision is that people would move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's the vision. So when I close my eyes and I see our city, I don't see just a bunch of people that are doing their own things that are messed up and, and whether or not we should, we should uh, pass this legislation or that legislation or defined by who lives north of the river or south of the river on this side of truth or that side of truth. I don't see political parties. I see a group of people that have rallied and reconciled in the name of Jesus where it's not the chiefs, it's not the royals, it's not the homes, it's not the barbecue that is the most famous entity. It is Jesus that is the most famous name in our city because people have seen him and have been changed by him and their lives are rearranged by him and they're undeniably different because of him and that we as a people are no longer divided by these smaller issues. We are united under the banner of Jesus Christ who has saved us, ransomed us, rescued us, redeemed us and picked us up and put us on solid ground with purpose and vision and direction with a people to go and make disciples of. That's the vision of our church. So what does this look like? Well, we have to understand that, yes, there is much joy when our life has changed. But listen to me. There is more joy when others' lives are changed through Now, if you've been on the other side of that, you know that. If you've been the one that was in the hospital room that was praying for the person who was healed, you know that joy. If you were the one that was called from the small group to show up when the husband and wife were having difficulties and you were there and you encouraged them and you spent not hours, not days, not weeks, but months laboring with them and they finally get to the other side of the chasm, you know that joy. When you are the person that somebody calls because their wayward child comes back to Christ and you have spent years praying for that child, you know that joy. But if you've yet to be in that position, then I wanna help you see today that God, God works through these conduit connections. What's a conduit connection? Conduit connection is when you realize that there are people around you that God has placed you with that that, that, that you have a connection to. It's, it's your spouse, it's, it's your boss, it's, it's, it's the people in your church, it's, it's, it's your kids, it's your parents. And what happens is, is there's these, these conduit connection, there's these, these people that, that, that God has placed you in and around and close to and, and there's friends and there's, there's the team that you lead. That's a conduit connection. Oh, you thought that it was just your job at work to make sure that people are productive or you thought it was your role at church to, to lead a team so that we can accomplish a task. No, 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 no. No, there's a conduit connection that God has divinely orchestrated and placed you for a specific purpose for you to be there. And what you have to realize is that, that the linchpin of those conduit connections is you. 
that God picked you up and God placed you in that space. He gave you, you, you have the spouse that you have, the kids that you have, the parents that you have, the friends that you have, the team that you're on, the people that you lead. And God placed you there. And what happens is when we don't understand this, then in God's economy, God begins to want to do something through you. God wants to show you, you wanna see how good I am? You wanna see what I can do? You wanna see how powerful I am? Watch this. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll fill you up. Sure, I'll fill you up. Here it comes. And so oftentimes that's where we stop. And we wanna take that and we wanna consume it because we believe that it's ours. God, you said that you wanted to break me free from this addiction. God, you said that if I apply your principles of finances, then you would break, help me break free from the bondage of debt. God, you said that you could, you could heal things that are broken. You said, God says, yeah, I did. But the problem is, is like you have demonstrated that you will just take it and consume it. And so I'm cutting you off. And so we experience a limited expression of the power of God and the goodness of God in our lives because we don't understand this truth that yes, God wants to change your life. Everything that he, he, he does and he's promised, he wants to do in your life. But when you don't understand that you are not the end of the flow, then the, and when it stops with you, then God goes, I'm not gonna continue to pour more into you because you have not proven that you're willing to pass it on. You see, my economy, God says, works through conduits, through connections, and I've placed you in a space. I've told you, go make disciples. Go make a difference. Allow the things that I do in you to not stop with you, but to pass through you. And when you begin to see this, what happens is, is God goes, you don't understand all that I'm capable of. All you have seen is that. But when you begin to understand the command to go make disciples, to allow everything I do in you to pass through you, through those conduit connections, then here's what God does. All right, you've been faithful with a little, I'll give you more. And I know that you're gonna pass it on and you're gonna make these connections and you're gonna keep it going. And God goes, listen, take the things you've learned from me, commit them to other people. You want your cup to overflow? Take the things you've learned from me and commit them to other people so that they can teach other people. And what's gonna happen is, is I'm just gonna apparently just make a mess, but the point is, God says, listen, I'll keep pouring it out if you'll keep pouring it out. Your little cup can only handle four ounces of liquid, but if you're willing to pass it on, I'll give you more than you can handle. I'll let it overflow. As long as you prove that you're faithful to continue to pass it on, to make disciples, to allow things to not stop with you, but to flow through you, then what's gonna happen is, is I'll just keep pouring. You see, why do you, why is it so oftentimes that we miss the power of God? We miss the power of God because we limit what he can do because we believe it's all about me. But listen to me, when you begin to realize that every single thing that God did in you was so that he could do something through you to reach somebody else, then you unlock the treasury of heaven for God to pour more of his goodness into you. Oh, you thought that him helping you break free from that addiction was so just so that you could be free from that addiction? No, it wasn't. It's so that now that you're free, you can go help someone else understand how to find freedom. Oh, you thought that getting financially out of debt was so that you could just, you know, put money into retirement and finally buy that car and get the house and all the things. No, it wasn't. It's so that you can take what you've learned and commit it to other people, make disciples by doing that. Oh, you thought that your, your healed marriage and the reconciliation of what was once divided and busted and broken was just so that your sex life could be better? No, it wasn't. Enjoy it. But it's so that you can go and walk with somebody and say, listen, if God did this in me, then I know he can do it in you. You see, this is what it looks like, that God wants us to pass it on. It's not supposed to just stop with us. 
It's not just so that we can be filled up and then consume it and say, thank you very much. No, God's desire is not that we are just spiritual consumers. He desires that we become spiritual contributors by taking everything and allowing it to flow through us to impact a next group of people and the next group of people. And if I had more, the next and the next and the next. This is how a city has changed, by the way. It's not by the preacher man preaching a great sermon. It's not by the worship team leading great worship and praise God because they do a phenomenal job. It's not the tech team making sure it sounds good. It's not the kids ministry doing their thing back with kids and changing little little lives back there. Listen, that's not how a city has changed. It all works together. Let me tell you how a city has changed. A city has changed when you and I realize it's our responsibility to go make disciples to take what we have seen and learned and witnessed from God and commit them to other people. So what I wanna do in the last couple minutes that I have, I wanna make this super practical. I wanna put handles on it. Is it okay if I make it so that you can package it and use it tomorrow? Is that okay? How do we do this? I wanna use the word make as an acrostic. Try to make it portable, make it tangible. Jesus says, make disciples. So here's the M. M is for make time for the people around you. The devil of hell wants you to be so busy and so consumed with your work schedule, your kids' schedule, your kids' sports schedule, all the things that are on the calendar that not only, you don't, you don't have time to go on date night, nope. You don't have time to go to the gym, nope. You don't have time to spend time in the Word. And if you don't have time to do any of those things, then you don't have time to make time for other people who are desperately in need of some hope. And so he keeps it, the devil keeps us so consumed and wrapped up in our own lives because we're trying to build our own kingdom, but God has called us to build his kingdom, not ours. So we've got to, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to make time for people around us. You've got to put it on your calendar. And don't wait for it to happen. Prescribe it into your calendar. Set aside a time. On this day, at this time, is going to be me making time for somebody so that I can make a disciple. That's the first step. Here's the second step. The A, approach them seeking for ways to impart what God has done for you. Now, let me be very careful with this. This is not your permission. Preacher man said, I can tell you you're an idiot because he told me to approach people looking for ways to impart what God has done in me. And I am coming in the name of Jesus just to part on you. You are an idiot. You're a dang fool. I wouldn't do it that way. Mm-mm. You're going to do what? Mm. That's dumb. That's not what this is about. Brother, this is about walking and living with an awareness that every single person you come in contact might be a divine appointment for you to be able to impart something that God has taught you into them. Jesus did not teach his disciples in a classroom. He taught them through the everyday things of life. That's how he made his disciples. It's recognizing that your encounter in the office or your encounter with your your child in the kitchen, when they come and ask a question, you're ready and you're approaching conversations, you're approaching relationship, you're approaching meetings, you're approaching text messages, phone calls, emails, approaching people with an awareness, with an understanding that this might be a divine moment for you to impart something that God has done for you to them. Here's the K, keep them continually in your prayers. By the way, I, I, where did I come with that? I'm, I'm just trying to help you see what I try to do. This is how I try to do it. Keep them continually in your prayers. Have a list of five, 10, 15 people that you've got written down somewhere that you're constantly praying for. Well, they didn't ask me to pray for anything. Then pray that God would do something in their life. Look for opportunities to say, hey, how can I pray for you today? Well, you know, you can pray for me because I got this and this and this. All right, hey, great, that's awesome. Can I pray for you right now? Keep them continually in your prayers. And the last one is E. The M is is make time for the people around you. A is approach them seeking for ways to impart what God has done in you. K is keep them continually in your prayers. And here's the E, expect each person to make their own decisions. You can't make somebody follow Jesus. And if you can't make somebody follow Jesus, you sure as heck can't make somebody follow you. So you gotta understand, people are gonna make their own, they're gonna make their own decisions. There's gonna be moments and situations and people and places where they're either not able, not willing, or not, not uh, 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 capable of receiving what it is that you're trying to give them. And that's okay. Don't be mad about it. 
Pray for them. It may be that what God is trying to speak to, what, what, what you feel like you're trying to impart on them is not for them. Can I tell you, uh, in the words of Wayne Gretzky and then Michael Jordan and then Michael Scott, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Amen? So you might, you, it's gonna take some time to learn. How do I know when the Spirit is leading me to do something? Can I tell you something? The only way you can figure it out is to try it. It would be better for you to misstep in, 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 in a holy intention of obeying the Spirit of God than for you to misstep by keeping it to yourself. So as you're making disciples, as you're looking for opportunities, as you're living your life, as you're going about your thing, as you're looking for these conduit connections, you're looking to make disciples, you're looking to impact people, you're looking to take the things that God has done in you and to pass them on to other people. And then eventually, for the people that respond, for the people, oh man, that was so good, I used that, I tried that, I did that, my life was changed, then you begin to have the conversation, all right, now, now you go look for people and you do the same. You be the beggar and go tell someone else where to find bread. Why? Because Jesus told us, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Take comfort in knowing that the Spirit of God is with you in every moment, in every connection, in every situation, always. In Christ, you are not an aimless wanderer. Now, if that's who you were, that old label you see just doesn't fit anymore. Jesus has done some things. He's given me an upgrade. Christ, you are a disciple maker. You are called. You are commissioned. You are empowered by the Spirit of God. You'll never be alone, and you have all that you need to make disciples in you as guided by the word of God and community of fellow believers. And every single thing that God wants to do in you, he doesn't do it so it can stop with you. He does it so that it can pass on. Why? Because he's gonna do it for his glory, for the world's good, for your joy. So as we set our sights on Easter next week, let's go this week. Let's go make disciples. Sure, invite people to come to church. Please do. Because we're going to share the gospel. I'm believing people can get saved. It's going to be a holy, you know, spirit moment right here, and we're going to be crazy. But more than that, take the things that God's taught you, that you've learned, that you've seen, that you've witnessed, that you've grown in, and look for ways to make disciples by passing it on others and as you do know that your pastor loves you and I'm praying for you that we together might be able to see a city changed it starts through our conduit connections it starts through your conduit connections let's go be disciple makers amen at discover church we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time if you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.